Um, I think I'll always love filmmaking. I'm just sort of taking a little bit of a break. Um, yeah, I burnt the candle at both ends for a long time. And now I'm just like, you know what? It's time to take a back seat, um, be engaged in filmmaking in different ways. And um, I think that's what I've been trying to do. Uh, yeah. just with like the birth of this new community and everything. So I'm actively involved in filmmaking. I'm just not actively seeking opportunities to go out and um, shoot. Yeah. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I feel like I've gone through a similar series of things. And like, I don't know, it'll be cool to to talk about sort of what you're doing now and why you're doing it. But I'd love to dig a little bit into like how you got here. So how did you first get into filmmaking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I first got into filmmaking through um, classic skateboarding story, you know. I was uh, had a lot of friends that skateboarded. Uh, my parents had a... The first camera they had was like a VHSC camera. Because mm-hmm. my dad was always one of the guys that was like the family member filming events and stuff. So I picked that up and just started making little videos with my friends. And then... Um, it got a little bit more serious, actually, kind of by accident. Uh, when I was in ninth grade, I broke my arm two times in a row, like consecutively. Oh, wow. And so during the course of that time, my friends were progressing so fast. You know, we were like turning into like grownups and our bodies could do, you know, different things like jumping down lots more stairs. So <laughs> there was this like two year period where my friends got so good and I couldn't keep up with them because I always had this huge cast on my arm. So I just, my way of kind of staying in touch and keeping connected was to just film it all. And so through that, it got more serious. And then I started uh, being interested in like, not just skate videos, but I have like an aunt that really encouraged me to get more into like documentary stuff and exploring different ideas with that. And um, because I guess she and my parents saw, obviously, I was really passionate about this thing, or I just really enjoyed it. Whether if it was really enjoying or really passionate, maybe the same thing. But um, yeah, so they were probably thinking for me, you know, oh, what can he do with this passion that can take him maybe a little bit further than skate videos? So um, that was really the start of it, though. That was, I would say, the genesis of um, how... I got more involved in um, filmmaking. So how do you get from skate videos to the founding of Variable? Wow, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> um, well, I didn't really know what else I wanted to do when it came time to thinking about college. So... I just had like a lot of friends, a lot of different friends groups. I kind of loved people. So I was thinking like, maybe I try and think about like psychology or something like that. But I was like, I don't want to, I don't know. That sounds kind of boring, you know, like going to a normal college. And um, so I don't even know how the idea of film school came up. I don't even remember because I never wanted to make films. That was never like a goal of mine. I never really wanted to like be a filmmaker it was just something that I enjoyed doing. I, I didn't think of it that way. But um, so, long story short, I ended up going to a, a film school in Orlando called Full Sail. And um, 
it's like an intensive sort of like boot camp for filmmakers and you graduate, I think it's 21 months, you graduate with a bachelor of science. And so I went there sort of on a whim, you know, thinking like, maybe I'll like this filmmaking thing. I'm not really sure, but I don't know what else I want to do. And, um, so that's what I did. And I was really fortunate that I loved it. You know, I went there and I discovered what a cinematographer was. I didn't even know what that was before I went to film school. I was like, oh, wow, there's somebody that does the camera and lighting stuff. Like, that's pretty sweet. So I started shooting different friends' projects. And I was always just actively involved in making things. And um, I think that's that's pretty much it. Like, I just loved making things. It didn't really matter if it was a music video, a spec commercial, a documentary it was the the act of like getting together with friends in the class that I was at that I was in and us just like making things and I put so much emphasis on that that um I didn't do also well in the actual classes it themselves because I was always doing things outside so I feel like I was really fortunate to have like an amazing class of people that wanted to like collaborate with me and that was kind of like my film school experience was like taking advantage of the network of editors, uh, filmmakers, musicians. There's a lot of creative people at that school. So I, you know, by the time I was finished at the school, I had some really deep relationships with people that um, were in my class. And um, when it came time to graduate, I, uh, I had a good friend who I went to film school with who's a cinematographer, and um, he, his family was from New York, or from New Jersey, and he had this connection at like a, it's like a Middle Eastern news station, and so he was like, dude, you should just come to New Jersey, you can like live in my mom's basement for a while, and we'll just shoot news, and we'll keep doing passion projects together, so it was like a perfect situation to transition into being in like the New York, New Jersey scene, and then shortly after I moved there, this must have been like three or four of my friends from my film school class moved to New York City. And so we all just kept doing what we were doing in film school, but now we were in New York City. And I had this news job, and my other friends were like PAing on sets, working in rental houses, and there was, and then, you know, passion projects. And, I, you know, I would get like $15,000 budgets for like music videos from some connections that I had had. And we just kind of started producing this stuff on our own. We weren't really making any money from it, but that's really what kept us connected and always, you know, wanting to grow and support one another was just through that like camaraderie that we had as a result of film school. And um, it was probably after about eight months of doing this news job, myself and um, my cinematographer friend, we we just got kind of burnt out from what we were doing and we were starting to have more freelance opportunities pop up. And um, that's where we really started to think about the possibility of having a production company. At the time, it was this little collective called Next Level Pictures, which I always laugh at that name, but it's a name that my old partner came up with when he was like 16 or something like that. But so we started producing more work through that and we were freelancing more and more. I'd quit my job at the news uh, station by this time. And um, after doing that for like, it must have been like a year or something like that. I, my perspective was 
I didn't jive with freelancing. And this was, I don't know how many years ago. It was like 15 years ago or something like that. Or no, 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 no. I'm, I'm 33 now. So it was 13 years ago. I was 20. It's like 20 or 21. And I just remember feeling like, wow, a lot of these shoots I'm working on are just a complete mess. Like I felt there was a, a huge degree of disrespect, um, you know, lots of shady business happening. And I was like, is this what I signed up for? Like, this is a mess. Like, I don't want to be a part of this industry. And if this is what's going to keep happening, like, I've got to figure something else out because it just wasn't vibing with, you know, who I was or the way that I wanted to be treated or felt I should be treated. And my crew members that I would be bringing on and friends and hearing their horror stories. And um, it all just started accumulating to this questioning period. And then my other partner... um, he was not very thrilled with the quality of work that he was producing on the freelance jobs because every job that we would do together would always be our best work. So we were just constantly thinking, like, how can we do something and actually make a living off of it? And it was it was really, really hard because neither he or I wanted to be producers. Uh, we didn't like dealing with all the money. We love dealing with the creativity and like the crew and the technology, but um, it was always a struggle for us to make money because we just put all the money into the projects because we were so unfulfilled from the other work that we were doing. And so it was about a year into maybe more into freelancing through that next level pictures thing. And this, uh, our other partner, uh, who was in the military for like nine years, he was following what we were doing. And, you know, he was, he was like in the combat camera department in the military and was like really inspired by some of the, the work that we did. And um, we had met him at NAB and just awesome dude. And uh, we just hit it off. And um, he saw this potential in like what we were doing, you know, the work that we were doing at Next Level Pictures. And, uh, just saw, you know, this potential for a bit. It's like what we wanted, but he was able to sort of see it from a more business kind of perspective. And um, so he got involved and then very quickly, you know, we, we started, we started working so many jobs together. It wasn't even like variable yet. It was like, there was three of us. We wanted to find ways to work together and build a company, but we weren't quite there yet. So we were just like, we would bring each other on to DP, to co-DP, to DIT, to AC, you know, to direct, whatever we could to just stay together. And we like traveled the world like that. We did tons of jobs in New York and all around and um, things that, you know, some of us were super underqualified or overqualified for. But the point was like, we want to stay together and we want to figure this thing out. And a lot of the time we had to figure it out was when we were working because we were working a lot. And, um, and ultimately we got to the point where we were like, you know what, we got to just like take this one step further and actually do this thing. And so that's when we put the three of us put most of our savings in a, um, bank account and just started variable and took it very seriously. You know, we got like an office space and in Manhattan, you know, and Chelsea, that was, it was great. It didn't feel overwhelming at all at the time. And, um, you know, for the first while, we were still paying the bills with all the freelance work and everything that we were doing together. 
And we just managed to find ways to like pitch ourselves as this sort of like cinematography collective in the beginning and like support productions. Like MTV brought us on a lot of times as like a unit basically to like basically produce their cinematography stuff. Like they would pay us an amount of money and we would just put it all together and show up with all the tools and the right people and like even subcontract them at times. So we started to like build our portfolio through a lot of these like being very creative about how we found our way into certain collaborations and then you know building a reel that way and then you know other people seeing potential in us and bringing us on and um that was really that was really how it all started and then and i think that the big the big thing that changed for us was um there was so there was this passion project that i had made before variable called eight hours in Brooklyn, where I just took a phantom out in Brooklyn. Uh, I was shooting a commercial for somebody else and they were like, yeah, you know, we don't care if you use the camera on the weekend. So I was like, great. So I just drove around with a couple of friends in Brooklyn and made this little thing for fun and, um, put that online. It got a bunch of views, but this was like kind of in the Vimeo heyday, I would say, which was what, like, you know, 12, 11, 12 years ago or something like that. And, um, randomly i think we were in texas for masters in motion and um i got a call on my cell phone from nike nike's agency in london and i was like what is going on this is crazy you know like it would always always would have been a dream to work with nike and um here i'm getting a call on my cell phone and we hadn't produced any like full-on produced any commercial work we've done like little things like i mentioned before but never being in charge of like the whole budget the whole scope, the agency communication, any of that stuff. So like I get this phone call and then like overnight it's like, oh, okay, you know, we're a production company now. We're like doing commercials. And that was sort of the beginning of what I think was like a seven or eight year long sort of deep dive into branded content, building a company and all that stuff. So, yeah. Do you remember what Masters in Motion that was? Like what year would that have been? Oh, man. It must, I'm trying to think. I don't know the year. I have very, like, vague memories. Because yeah. I remember I was, like, drinking back then. And I remember I was, like, I showed up, like, late <laughs> to this thing that I was, like, teaching. and Because I, I was hungover. But I, I can't tell you what year that was. That's fair. But it was shortly after, oh, see, this is old. I was trying to see if I could find when you dropped the... Uh eight hours in Brooklyn piece and figure it out based off that. Cause I feel like, I guess the thing that sticks out to me is I think that was right about when I met you, I went to my first masters in motion in 2012 or 2013, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, it's funny cause there's, I don't know. I feel like there's so many similarities to our story, which is always obvious from my perspective, but it was like, I'd got into film because I like, wanted to do music and art and be creative, but I was like, I'm not good at drawing. And I ended up with a camera in my hands and I was like, oh, this is easier. And then I almost went to full sale for their mm. graphic design program. Actually, I was going to do the oh, wow. two year intensive thing. I was 16 and I had graduated early from high school cause I was homeschooled. And, uh, but I was like, I don't, I don't want to spend $80,000 on this to be honest. So <laughs> I ended up sort of backing out. I moved to the Cape and was working at a church as like an intern while I was working at Marshall's and Ace hardware and 
found found cameras really like just was like got given a t3i for christmas and i remember it was like eight months after i got that t3i i was so deep in like the youtube philip bloom filmmaking rabbit hole that was starting to expand Mm -hmm. i feel like it was just the beginning of that but uh I remember I tweeted Philip Bloom and I was like, hey, do you have anything going on in the States this year? Because I was like, I got to go learn from someone. And he said, oh, the one thing I'm doing is going to this event called Masters in Motion. And so I was like, I, you know, I was working two minimum wage jobs, but I was like, I'm going to put it all on black and go to this place and see what I can learn. And I had no (laughs) clue what anything was. I remember getting there and people were like, oh, I'm a, I'm a cinematographer. What do you do? And I was like, I don't know what any of that is. Like I just make church and, and music and nonprofit videos. And so I quickly got dumped into this world and met you and all the other characters that are part of that story at that point and was just <laughs> like immediately in the deep end. But it was crazy because I feel like it was almost this inflection point of like so many people there were right about to set off on these massive adventures. And I was very Mm. much right at the beginning of mine, but it was a really cool place to be where like one of the first nights I was there, I uh, was in a, I was in like the hotel room of, I think Vincent LaFerre with Philip Bloom and Eric Kessler. And, and I was just like, my mind was exploding, you know? Cause I was like, there's people with phantom cameras. There's all these people doing real work. Andy Baker knows yeah. my name. Like what the heck is any of this? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's awesome. But, but it was really cool. And so that's where I feel like you guys were very much the cool kids on the block though. Like of everyone, Ooh. it was like variable was like, these are the guys doing the cool stuff with the cool gear and the cool <laughs> clients and they're doing great work and everyone's sort of, uh, a little envious, I think, in some ways. Hmm. And I think something that I remember is just how kind you guys all were, though. And, like, I remember mm. listening to all these conversations people were having about, like, what do you say yes to and what do you say no to? And I had no context for any of that because I was like, I just mm. need to say yes to everything. But it was really... Right. um, It was something that was really formative for me, and I think it's part of, honestly, why I wanted to do this was I feel like the lack of events like that the last few years and the lack of conversations like this is like everyone just sees what's happening on YouTube, you know? Right. And it's like, there's so much more to all of this. And I got lucky that I fell into it mm. and that you guys showed up and shared where you were at. Mm. And like that, that put me on a path. And so it's fun to hopefully be a little piece of that for other people. Um, but so I was curious, like you mentioned that you're not a, a big money guy and that you like being creative. What was it like being thrown into the deep end of money all of a sudden? Cause like that stuff gets real, real fast and the numbers scale real fast and the costs scale real fast. And how were you processing and handling all of that? So I feel pretty fortunate that I was pretty removed from it. Uh, my other partner, was very involved in the finances and the bidding and he did an amazing job shielding me from a lot of that stuff so that I could just focus on the creative right because it was the creative was much more demanding than I was used to where you know previously it was like you write a word document with a few (laughs) ideas and like a couple images that pop up on like the first page of a Google image search, you know, now it's like all nighters putting together treatment. So I think we very quickly saw like, 
I just don't even have the capacity to deal with the numbers. But I feel like I've always been really responsible with numbers and money where, you know, I really enjoy maximizing the budget and making sure everyone's getting paid and making sure we're not going over time and just being very methodical. So most of my ideas and the way that I see creative is completely influenced by the numbers. And I saw that as like a really stimulating creative challenge. And, um, Whereas a way for me to just honor my company and my employees too, like the people that I really cared about um, and just be respectful about the numbers. So while on one hand, like, yeah, I wasn't doing the budgets and like the line items and all that stuff. I was always doing numbers as I was conceptualizing and I would present things to producers in a way where it's very thought out and I would understand how much this piece of gear co would cost or this location would cost or like estimated wise. And I could say, look, you know, here's this. I think we can do it for this. And I think we could profit this or X, Y, and Z. Right. So um, it didn't overwhelm me. I certainly felt the pressure though, for sure. And I think a lot of that is just the responsibility of being like a business owner as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I think so. I mean, I'm I, I'm just honestly curious. Was there ever a moment that you like saw a budget or a deck or something that got cleared and you were like, "Holy shit, that's a lot of money." Um. Yeah, there definitely. But I don't know what you know. There wasn't really like a holy shit moment. There was maybe a moment where I'm like, "This is great because we can." pay all of our staff and save a lot of money so that we don't have to do every job that comes across the table. Yeah. So it's that like feeling of like, ah, oh, this is great, you know? Right. But a holy shit moment. Like my silly one, which is again, I mean, it's all numbers are all relative, right? So it's like what right. what's a lot of money is always relative to where you are at the time. But I remember the first time that I pitched a client on like, you're going to, you're going to give me $40,000 to do this. And we're going to shoot on 16 millimeter and all this stuff. Right. And when they said yes, I was like, what? <laughs> like that's, <laughs> it was such a, a gap from just my previous experience to being like, oh, this is real. And then you get to the first like hundred thousand dollar thing and you're like, oh, this is real. And then it just keeps like, yeah. it, it keeps going up. So I guess for me, I just had those moments of like, oh, this feels like another level that I didn't know I would ever be at. Maybe more so than like, oh, I get so much out of this. I think I still have that right. sense of like, this allows me to do something I've wanted to do. But just mm -hmm. that moment of recognition that like, oh, this is sort of a different level of the game now, you know? I definitely have that experience and it, it wasn't tied. I mean, it is tied to money intrinsically, but um, it was the, f like the biggest job that we had done that we had to actually hire a union company to, I'm forgetting the term, um, to run the job through. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause we were always a non-union company. So we had to hire a union company in LA that was a friend of ours, a producer, and he let us run the job through his company um, we still produced it, and he was like a producer on the job, but he was, oh, it's a union signatory company? Oh, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I think that's the word. But um, I remember going out to L.A. and um, on the first shoot day, rolling up to set, and there was just trucks for like blocks leading up to the set. 
and I had done so much just like docu style stuff up until that point, and the concept was all docu style, docu style. You know, it's it was commercial docu style on a super high end, but um, I was just and I I thought I had understood. You know, I thought I had understood how much stuff was involved because I know the production team was really stressed and everything. And I was expecting maybe like a block or two of stuff, you know, but this was like, I was driving up the set, like the PA was driving me to set from the hotel and I'm sitting in the back and I'm just like back there by myself and I'm just looking at all these trucks and I'm like, it just keeps going and keeps going. I'm like, this is literally insane. Like, this is not even right. Like, it just didn't even feel right because I knew what the story needed and I knew how it needed to be shot and I knew the intentionality and I was like, this is completely absurd and it it definitely overwhelmed me because I was like, all I literally need is like me and this DP and like a grip to hold a balance board. And like, that's all I need to tell the story and to make it as good as it possibly can be. But it was just the amount that that production was bloated just to kind of meet the needs of like the union criteria and like the agencies, you know, and all that, all that stuff that blew me away and I was pretty overwhelmed on that the course of that shoot too just because I felt like there was just so much unnecessary protocol and and what I was trying to do was something so simple but it became this monster Mm. and um that sort of uh explains a lot of my experience in relationship to the production company yeah it's like trying to do simple things and they just get so bloated to the point where it's not even enjoyable anymore Yeah. So I have this sort of feeling I've been processing with myself of like the, the times that I've ended up sort of suffering the most, uh, at least let's say like mentally and emotionally throughout my career are usually the times that I have willfully or unwillfully ignored something true to me that was like, this is no longer in alignment with how I want to show up, but I'm going to convince myself it is right. That's like, right. And so inside of that explosion, and I think you just touched on that a little bit, but like, what were you ignoring in yourself that led to it all sort of exploding in the other way? Right. Yeah. I mean, it took me a long time and a lot of fires to realize this, but like, I love working small, you know, I love showing up to set with a camera and if I have to do everything, that's fine. Like I love the intimacy of like working with subjects, being creative, being spontaneous. And, um, that was always, you know, my vision for variable looking back on it. And I brought this up in meetings and everything, and I'll get to this later, but Like, I always just love telling real people's stories in, like, very small ways, right? And um, the problem that we experience is that when there's millions of dollars attached to it, it just, it it becomes this this, um, circus, you know, this, like, circus act. And um, now there's ways that we adjust it and we're able to talk to agencies to, like, convince them to go way smaller down to, you know, say, even, like, eight people at times, right? right? Going from like 150 down to like eight. So there's a lot, there's a lot of adjustments and things that we learned through these experiences of like how to do heartfelt documentary stuff in a big budget commercial world. But the reality was like from a business standpoint and what I lost track of is that 
what excited me was the heartfelt, intimate stories. And we started working with a lot of other people who were very excited by big budget stuff and, you know, the more Hollywood style way of doing things. And I personally wasn't interested in any of that stuff. Like, I just didn't really get it because that's just not my style. But from a business perspective, I was like, well, it makes sense to do that financially because we have directors that want to do that stuff and we have producers that are eager to do that kind of stuff. But it just wasn't me. And the problem was is that I got so wrapped up in it because of like the way that we had built our business was sort of, you know, I was doing a lot of the supporting and co-directing with directors that we signed and um, helping them get their reels up to speed so that they could be self-sustainable. What I didn't factor in was what that process would look like and how long that would go on for. So while I was constantly seeking these like super intimate, small stories, uh, not small stories, just like intimate storytelling and with smaller crews, I was having to do, I was having to co-direct these like massive car commercials or, you know, product commercials. And that just went on too long. It just, it just went on too long for me personally to where I just burnt out. Like I was burning out every step of the way. Cause it'd be like, Oh, this director's almost there to where they can do this project. So, okay, I'll just do one more thing. And I just did that one more thing too many times to where I like, I just truly lost sight of even who I was and it, things just got really dark for a period of time. But, you know, looking back, you know, now it's like, I know that about myself, you know, I know that I love small intimate scenarios and I love small crews and that's just my vibe. And I think even if I had just fully embodied that and recognized that I could have at least discerned that and figured out a different way to build the company and lead the directors through that process. I just wouldn't have been the one that would be the sacrificial lamb per se, right? you know, doing all these things. I would have had a more intelligent, thought out, experienced perspective on how to raise up uh, talent and whether that means our business model was completely different and we just kept it smaller and didn't roster to directors or whether it meant we were finding ways to work with people that had more, you know, experience and more stuff on their reels. But like, I also just love supporting directors and filmmakers. You know, it's such a part of me that like I love seeing people's voices come to life. And I, I really put it all on the line there for a few years. I, I sacrificed so much of myself for the sake of others in the company that I, that I lost myself completely. And that's been like a huge lesson that I've been processing the last four years is that I'm a people pleaser, you know, like I love people and I love supporting others. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of psychology about that, that reveals a lot about myself, just about like, you know, why I never gave myself the time, why, you know, I wasn't necessarily kind to myself, didn't give myself space, um, why I didn't react well to boredom and time. Like, these are things that I've all been processing a lot the last four years, as a result of like, not staying true to my instincts, Mm. you know? Yeah. Dude, I so, I so empathize with that. And that's the other part of our story. That's funny to me is like, I feel like we, we had very different start points 
and then very different breakdown points. But we ended up both sort of like <laughs> saying screw it to everything at the same time and then went into like the same four-year dip and then have both <laughs> popped back up at the same time, which is a coincidence, but it's just funny to me. I, uh, <laughs> But I, I've been through the same thing where it was like I went total radio silence, shut down everything I was doing. and was like I need to go back to figuring out who I am and mm-hmm. unpack all of this stuff that I have – convinced myself of that isn't true and the things that are true that I've forgotten and like get Mm -hmm. back to reality with myself on who I am and how I show up in the world. And like, you know, and to your thing, being a people pleaser, it's like, I am very much a achiever. I'm very, this like all or nothing. I got to go do it the best all the time. And that is a skill, but it's also a weakness for me. And I think it was something that you know, was part of what pulled me off the path. So I'm curious because I feel like for a while I had this sense that like, oh, what's uniquely busted about the film industry is sort of this obsession with growth and bloat. And now I feel like that's just how everything is. And like, we just happen to Mm. see it and fall into it in the film industry because that's where we were. But how do you think now about sort of like the appropriate use of force, because I think there's this tendency to fall into extremism that's either like bigger is better. Everyone wants more stuff, more gear, more crew members. The more people you have on set and the more money you're spending, the better. Or screw it and go the other way. No one needs anything bigger than an A7S ever. And like I think about, (laughs) I think some of your, from my perspective, some of your guys' greatest work and your greatest work specifically is like bringing the right size gun to a fight. And so, like, yeah. the Holy video, is that the way you say mm. that? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Is, uh, I never know if it's Holy or Holly, but it's, like, it's so special because you've never seen that that way before, right? Like, it's a new mm. perspective that you needed there. But there's a world where I've seen this trap where it's, like, now you're in an agency thing. People are spending money. We feel like we have to justify the money. And so, so now we're going to bring a whole bunch of stuff we don't need just so people can feel better about it. And so like for where you're at now, how do you think about sort of like appropriate use of force and sustainability versus bloat, like within how to be creative? Within how to be creative, like in the context of film alone or? I mean, to be totally honest, I feel like all this stuff, like the way that it's true about film is also true about everything. So it's sort of like whatever Mm -hmm. your way of thinking about it is in filmmaking or in life, you know, how do you sort of engage with that idea of like appropriate use of force? Appropriate use of force. I mean, I, for me, I think it's just coming down to like knowing myself and learning myself better. And that is like mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and being honest with myself about my limitations and what brings me joy and what brings me stress and having gone through so many different experiences in the film space i have a pretty good sense of that at this point like what types of things i'm gonna enjoy doing but yeah i don't know man i'm uh at this point in my life like i'm trying to establish like a healthy well-rounded life where I actually enjoy my life. You know, I didn't, I wasn't really happy, you know, through most of my 20s.
the way I process things is like, you know, if like a job or an opportunity comes across the table, I'm like, okay, how can I fit that in within the things that I know I need to do to take care of myself and be emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically healthy. Cause if I don't put things through that filter, then I just know I'm going to, I'm letting myself down. Like I've done it so many times that it's at the point now where it's like, I have to be highly considerate of it. So my, uh, the the question was, sorry, the question was again, the term you used was... I, I mean, I, I've said it in a sort of convoluted way. I think what I'm really yeah. getting at is that my sense, and I feel like part of what you're saying here is bloat, to me it feels like a lot of the times production bloat comes because someone didn't say that's not how we show up for this. And that when you mm-hmm. let someone else tell you how you have to show up, yeah, there's a sense of like great things don't happen there, you know? And right. so like for some people it is true that like how we believe we should show up is have all this stuff and that's great. But like for you, there was a sense of like, this isn't how I want to do this. This isn't how I see this, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like just how that role of authenticity and knowing yourself plays out in like the way that the work gets done, whether that's budgets or gear or crew or whatever else, you know? Because I feel like they're mm-hmm. connected. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I'm I'm struggling with this question. I'm struggling with how to answer it. Because I... Yeah, is there another way you could rephrase it? Um, why, why is production bloat a problem? Why is production bloat a problem? Um... There's probably so many reasons. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I know the answer to that question. I think uh, standards, insurance, I think. If a company's putting in like a lot of money into a job, it's a huge risk for them. So they want to make sure that it's going to come out and everybody's not going to get fired. So it's like, we're okay to sacrifice the creative because we just need something that's good enough that's going to make sure that we don't lose our jobs. And so we're going to bring on all these extra things to make sure everyone's taken care of. There's no insurance hiccups, no liabilities. Everybody can look at the monitor and we can sign off on every shot before we move on. And I think it's really all because of that. It's, you know. So my next question would be, is creativity built on certainty actually creativity? Oof. I have no idea. Is creativity built on certainty actually creativity? Built on creativity, built on certainty. I don't know. Probably. I feel I mean, like what isn't creativity? It's a good question. 
What do you think the role Everything. of like discovery or exploration is in creativity? The role of uh, discovery or exploration in creativity. I mean, for me, it's it's definitely important. Um, discovery and exploration. Yeah, I mean, that's what drives me to create you know it's like to learn explore other people's stories uh new cultures new places and um cultivating that sense of you know empathy or connection with your subjects like that's highly explorative like even like an interview like this conversation which is why i love doing interviews so much is because it's like unfiltered curiosity that's like it might not be a physical exploration but it's a hundred percent an intellectual exploration and that sort of stuff really inspires me for sure. But like some people might get super inspired by like traveling around the war world and, you know, that certain, which is, is inspiring to me to a degree, but I don't know, very simple things are inspiring. Like it just depends how you define exploring. Like I've been really exploring my community recently, the last couple of years and like getting to know a lot of people um, the last couple of years, like particularly small business owners, but like during COVID, you know, there wasn't really that much to explore in like a physical world. So that, that role of my inspiration changed more locally. And, um, it's like, how do you find inspiration in a box, you know? And I feel like I've always kind of been that way. And I think it goes back to a lot of the like limitations that we had at variable on our projects early on. It's like, what's the best thing you can make for 10 grand that's going to help you get into this type of work or whatever. I love that challenge of like having to create something out of nothing and um, seeing the value in anything or being able to learn from anything. There's that, that challenge is like really compelling to me. Yeah. I don't know if that's answering your question. No. But... I'm, and so it's, it's all, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on this because this is, and to what you said, like I'm legitimately curious about this and sort of balancing it out myself. I think something that I've been chewing on is this idea of like curiosity is fundamentally risky and involves an element of the unknown. Mm. And when you take the unknown out of it, you can't be curious anymore. When you're convinced you know everything, there's no good reason to be curious. Yeah. And so like I did a conversation with this guy yesterday and he was talking about how he's like, I've been on probably 500 decidedly average podcast interviews. And what <laughs> makes them average is people are asking questions that they're certain they already know the answer to. Right. And yeah. a good interview is one that leaves room for curiosity. And mm -hmm. I think the thing that I've been chewing on is I think part of what created dissonance for me with a lot of like agency commercial work is they had boiled all the curiosity out of it and just tried to yeah. be left with certainty. That's like, we know what we're saying. We know what it is. We know what the story is here. And when mm -hmm. there's no more room for curiosity, that's to me, that's not creativity anymore as I would describe creativity because my cur creativity requires curiosity and that requires accepting that I don't know everything about this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would also say like, there's very different forms of creativity. You know, there's like 
directors that are expert craftsmen and they get super inspired by like seeing an agency script and being able to interpret that visually. That's to me, that's, that's not me. Mm. You know, I was terrible at that and that bored the heck out of me and it doesn't fulfill me creatively at all. Like, I feel like I'm just recreating someone else's idea, but there's a lot of people that that's really exciting for them. Right. And they can create these visual worlds that are just like mind blowing. But I consider that more of like a craftsman type of creative where, you know, I, it's, it's hard for me to fit in those parameters. Right. Like it, it, yeah, it was just, it was, it was always boring for me and like super predictable. Well, that feels to me like it's a, when you, when, when I'm authentic, there's places that my curiosity plays out. And like right now, I can be curious in my mental health. I can be curious in my physical health. I can be curious in visual communication. Mm-hmm. And the places that I can't be curious are probably places that I shouldn't spend too much time, I guess is maybe how yeah. I would say that. And like there are people who, to what you're saying, can be really curious at how could we make an F1 car go one one millionth of a second faster? <laughs> and like that's yeah. the place for them to be. And there's a place where someone can go, how right. can I be curious about how to better showcase the magic of fluid dynamics using robot arms and cinematography? <laughs> and like that's where they should be. Yeah. But that we need yeah. to be in the space where we are curious and that that's where we are creative. And whether you're being creative in taxes or insurance Mm -hmm. or making clothing or whatever that when I stop being curious and, and suppress my curiosity, that like resignation just destroys my joy on some level. Dude, I agree. I mean, we're actually, um, coming up in the variable community. We're having a conversation about, I think it's just like, how do you feel about commercial filmmaking? Because um, my good friend Steve and I, we co-directed a lot and we also work together a lot at Variable and we we share a lot of similar feelings about commercials. Now, he's like super talented documentary director. Um, we have a lot of similar interests as far as subjects and documentary and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the thing that we always talk about is just like the feeling of like you're a puppet when you're in a commercial and it's always about putting on this act and um, it's, it's for me and I won't speak for him. It's just, uh, there's not really a worse feeling for me if that's what I'm going to be engaging in professionally. Right. It's like, you can't take it lightly if you're going to be operating at a really high level in commercials, you can't just really wing it and not buy it. It's like, if you want to do high level commercials, you have to really buy what you're creating to some degree. And if you're not, they think there's going to be ramifications, probably spiritually, emotionally, however they pop up, um, maybe in small ways or maybe eventually in massive ways. But um, that feeling of like that you're being controlled and your pure sense of creativity is tied to something that you ultimately don't have control over at all at the end of the day you're completely powerless to a massive brand like the amount of projects that i've done that have never seen the light of day and everyone's done that works in the commercials that, that or any any 
you know, bigger budget thing or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it's a control thing for me too. It's like, I love feeling like I have some degree of control over my own ideas and my integrity as a creative person. And, um, I couldn't keep buying into that if I was going to be professional as a commercial director, I just couldn't keep buying into what I was selling and what I was making. It just didn't make sense for me anymore. Right. Well, and I think so. that's like, I've, I've been, I feel this sense of like, cause it's, it's this personal authenticity thing. And I feel like it's some sense of belief, not control. I would say it's not control because at some point, like everything good in my life, I was not in control of, you know? Right. But there was a vision and there was a sense of direction towards that vision. And when I'm Mm -hmm. in that place, I can let go and good things happen. And when I am not in line with the other people around me's vision and direction, that my heart's not in it anymore and I can't show Mm -hmm. up and do good work anymore. So I have to follow like my own sense of what do I believe in? What's my vision and my mission? And if that changes, that's when it's time for me to pivot because if I try to stay here, I'm just going to fry myself, you know? Totally. Yeah. And like pouring your own mission and vision, which are very personal things. And I would even say spiritual things, pouring that stuff into a commercial project, for example, it's just really, it's really, um, I don't think dangerous is the right word. You just have to be very careful. You know, you have to be very mindful of the game that you're playing. And I struggle to separate those two. Mm. I think some people can, uh, I do. I really believe some people are much more disciplined at separating those things. I can't. Yeah. (laughs) It's so hard for me. I mean, I, I say I can't. I mean, I can, but it's like I might only be able to do like one commercial a year, which I've actually tried that the last few years. I've like gone down and down and down to the point where I'm not doing anything. But even like doing one commercial a year, it's that whole like gearing up for that whole process and the toll that that takes on me emotionally and spiritually and all the other things is just like it wasn't worth it for me anymore to be invested in that idea yeah. that that was going to be, cause you have to, you have to be professional, you know, you can't, you can't just like phone it in. I mean, I guess you can, but like when there's so much money on the line, you have to be professional and, and to be like passive about the jobs that you're taking on. It's just a really toxic, it was for me a really toxic way to live my life. Yeah. So. Well, and I feel like for me, I think at some point I bought this myth that like, if there was enough money involved, I I could get myself to care about stuff I didn't care about otherwise, and I found that that wasn't true. That it was like, if I care about it, you know, money's a piece of everything. But like, even mm-hmm. I got a call, a last minute call this last weekend to drive to Vermont on one day's notice at five in the morning to drive three hours, to film for three hours, to drive back for three hours for two thousand right. dollars to do a piece for YouTube, for upfronts about these guys who are content creators in the CrossFit space. And I love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they're working with, uh, this guy who's, you know, the five time CrossFit games champion, who's a big inspiration for me. And like, 
I honestly just I didn't even care about the money or the time or yeah. like it was a chance for me to show up and like use all the uh, to m- sort of like utilize all the hard work I've put in to like help people who I really believe in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And when you get to do that, I think the rest of it like falls into place. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that makes me like so excited for what you're doing right now with variable is like, mm. I believe that you believe in it. And I believe mm. that that means it's going to be sick, whatever it is, you know? <laughs> And the minute we start doing things that we don't believe in, it's like I have never seen any good things come downstream of that, aside from lessons, which I guess lessons are the good outworking of doing things that we don't believe in. But like everything Mm -hmm. truly good in my life has come from figuring out what I believe in and then putting the full weight of my lessons up until then against it. You know, it's like a really interesting gauge of if, you know, because I learned this the hard way of like, if I believe in what I'm doing is how I feel about when other people ask me what I do. Yeah. Like for my whole twenties, you know, it's like, so what do you do? It's like, I never felt good about saying that I had a commercial production company or that I did commercials. It just nothing against commercials. It just didn't feel wasn't your vision for yourself. No, no. And it, it wasn't, I was very, very unclear, but just reflecting on that feeling Whereas now, if someone asks me what I do, I feel good about it. Like, I feel like there's a purpose for what I'm doing that's greater than me. But to be to be completely honest with yourself when you're in the heat of a season where, like, your livelihood, your ego, all these things are depending on the work that you're generating to, like, sit down in, in a moment and be like, do I really believe in what I'm doing? And to to make a change from that point is extremely hard and i don't it doesn't work like that as far as i know yeah it's like this this like unfurling of your ego that happens through all sorts of things but it's the question is asking yourself do i believe in what i'm doing or do i feel good about what i'm doing and just listening to it and not taking it lightly yeah I feel like that's a, it's the, the cost, the cost of perceived success feels like this idea to me that like, it's, it's harder and harder to be honest with yourself when everyone tells you something is working for you that you believe isn't. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you're so much fun at parties and you drink so much and it's a blast. And you're like, I don't feel (laughs) like that's maybe true, but everyone's telling me it is. Or you're like yeah, you're the best commercial director, here's a million dollars. And you're like, "Eh, but that's not who I am. But like all the momentum other people are putting behind you makes it so much harder to turn around and go, no. And like you have to say no Mm -hmm. at some point to then realign to that. Right. And you have to say no so many times too, I feel like. It's not just like once or twice or three or whatever. It's like saying no until like, there's a nothing. Right. <laughs> and you're like, then it's like, that's where the rubber hits the road. I think is when you're, when you turn down so many things where you're not doing anything and you're like, Oh, okay. This is where life gets real. Yeah. And the whole like identity crisis sets in and it's like, okay. Um, I don't know. That's at least what happened to me. But um, I think that's probably true with a lot of, 
people. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I had heard once, I forget who told me this. It doesn't matter. It was about, it was about <laughs> a great commercial director. And I could think of a few who it might be about. But this idea that they were like, being a commercial director is fundamentally getting people to buy into an idea that's really true that you believe in and then spending mm. the next few months telling everyone who gets scared that they're wrong and that the original idea was true and that we need to stay the course to what's true about this. Hmm. Wow. And I just resonated with that a lot. And, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious your thoughts on that. So rephrase, rephrase that first part again. So we're, we're getting people to buy into an idea that we believe is true. Like fundamentally, any good commercial starts with some truth to it about something, right? Whether you're selling sporting goods or toothpaste or whatever. We're starting with truth. Mm -hmm. We have to get everyone to buy into the importance of this truth. And then once all the money Mm -hmm. gets on the line, now we spend the rest of our time stopping everyone from being afraid that we shouldn't do what's true anymore. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about commercials and just like mass manipulation and all this stuff and like my stance is like I don't condone any of it you know I I work a lot with filmmakers so I coach filmmakers that's what I do outside of the community and like I love you know helping them come into what they a lot of them want to do branded and commercial stuff and i think it's more about just the awareness of the game that you're playing and you know we're all most of us are like capitalists you know to some degree so to completely trash uh commercials and um think that i'm better than them or anything like i understand i think the essence of what you're saying is that like it's all about manipulation but like I think if at least we understand that and um there are some commercials and some brands, you know, where there's like validity to like the messaging and stuff, I think. There's a handful of them. But I, um, I feel that way about like an example to me would be everything that I've seen that Elliot Rausch does feels really real to me. And most of the hmm. commercial work that I would say does not resonate with me is stuff that just feels sort of fabricated. You know, and so the sense of like, can you convince people who are spending a lot of money to do something real and resist that urge to like fabricate something is, I don't know, that's interesting to me. It's very interesting and and it's an art form, but I think under all of that is just the awareness of the game that we're playing as commercial directors. There was a, um, a first AD on this car shoot I was doing in Spain and it was this crazy shoot and we're like driving through the desert at like 90 miles an hour. There's like, you know, dirt flying everywhere in the road and I'm sitting in the back seat and he's sitting in the front seat and he turns around to me cause I was kind of on this like vent about commercials cause I was just burnt out and he's like, he's like, Hey man, you got to understand what we're doing here. We're fueling the engine of capitalism. And I was like, Oh, I was like, oh, that's a really eloquent way to put it. And this guy is just like kind of this like crazy character. And just the situation that I heard it under and the context of it all was just like so eye-opening. I was just like, oh, yeah, that is exactly what we're doing here. And I think that's, you know, the awareness that I try and 
talk about with the filmmakers that I coach is like, just understand the game that you're getting into. Understand that it is a game. Understand that like, you need to have some sort of creative outlet outside of this where you can purely be yourself and express yourself fully or else you're running the risk of, you know, (laughs) a lot of negative things. I, I would have to say, yeah, if you're investing all of your creativity and your identity into, um, work that isn't yours. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally, I resonate with that. I feel like the thing that I've been playing with in that is this idea that there's definitely an element of the game and there's definitely an element of, and you know, maybe this is just a calibration of where I fall on like the art versus commerce spectrum. And like you said, I think there are people who maybe legitimately don't care about this in the same way, but for me, Mm -hmm. I hold on to this idea that's like what I love about anything creative personally, whether that is music or a photograph or a film piece is that to me, good, good creativity is an amplification of what is true and a reduction of what is not true. And so like when we come in and light something, we're punching up what's true about this and we're pulling down what's distracting from what's true about it. And when we go in and we make a song, the music moves to amplify the truth so that you can feel it. And then we pull away so you can feel the truth of it. And so if I can partner with people who want to take space to do that and realize that, okay, right now we're doing this in the context of teaching people how to better be recycling drivers or whatever. But like, that's the game that we're playing and we're using the tools we have to play that game. Then I feel like I'm in the right place and I don't really care whether you're an athlete or anything else that I can have fun anywhere. If I'm playing the game of using all these tools to amplify truth and take down things that aren't true. And that when I get into a place where I feel like my hands have been tied and I can't do that, that I end up being miserable. But anywhere that I can do that, like even here right now, it's like Mm -hmm. we're using the silly tool of podcasting to amplify a little bit of what we've found that's true and tear down a little bit of what we've found that's not. And I think that's how I want to show up in the world. Totally, man. I agree. Truth seeking. Yeah. It's uh, it's it feels funny to say, but I think that I don't know. It's helpful for me. So I I want to be sensitive to your time, and I feel like we've dug into so much good stuff. But can we respectfully but semi quickly catch up on? So you've shared a bit of your story of so your reality sort of came collapsing back in on itself, and you took a break, and now you're doing something new with variable. So like, what part of that story is most important for you to share? Um, I think just the reality that, um, leaving that company and these last four years have been extremely hard, extremely hard. Um, it's not a matter of like leaving one high or, and or leaving one low, I guess, because I was at a really low space towards the end of variable. And then everything just got like better and my life is like figured out and I have this wellness community and I'm this like wellness guy, you know, it's like, it's so much more complicated than that. And, uh, yeah, the last four years have been really, really hard. 
probably the hard harder than building my directing career and the company because I've had to learn how to be an adult and like be responsible to my self and all kind of like from scratch in a way. Yeah. Um, of course, like I had a great upbringing and, and good um, friends and everything. But as far as being like a functioning adult that can have intimacy in my life and a relationship, like I'm married now, for example. Congratulations, man. Um, <laughs> thanks, man. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing was like, so I decided to leave Variable for a lot of reasons. One of them was because I had met a woman in Shanghai who's now my wife. And when I was over there on a job and upon meeting her, I was like, oh, my God, I really don't want to screw this up. Like, I've screwed up a lot of relationships over the last eight years. And I, I had the hindsight enough to know that if I kept doing what I was doing, I would screw up this relationship. So my reaction was to just leave it all behind and pursue something new mm. and something that I actually really wanted, which was an intimate relationship with someone really special. And um, so that's what I did, but I had no idea what I was getting into. You know, it was a, it was, it was a long time coming to leave the company but this was like the precipice. So I left thinking like, okay, I'm just going to like go to China for a couple months and just kind of relax and freelance a little bit when I get back. And that was like, that was my plan uh, to do that. But I really quickly learned when I went to China that I didn't really know how to live with myself and I had to learn how to live with myself away from constantly working and traveling and living in the bubble that I've been living in for the last 10 years of my life since I moved to New York City. So that transition was extremely hard and I, 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 uh, I guess that's why I want to just emphasize that fact that like finding wellness is like a process. It's not like I've arrived anywhere. Uh, it's just been necessary because I want to enjoy my life and I want to enjoy my marriage and I want to be like a good friend and a good sun and all these other things too and in order to do that and to feel good about that i've had to make a lot of quote-unquote sacrifices professionally but that's okay you know that's what i'm learning is that's okay because what's more important to me now is that i'm just feeling alive and like feeling contented with what I have. And I have so much right now. You know, I have a wife, I have my family, I have a house, I have anything that I, everything that I ever really dreamed of having, I have right now. And so, yeah, there's just a lot, a lot to be grateful for, but it's, it's, was extremely hard to, um, 
step away from that identity of being like a successful guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's dark, dark yeah. night of the soul, man. But I feel like we all, yeah, we all need that in some ways. I feel like, I don't know if this is the right way to say this, but it, it feels to me like some sense of, uh, getting, getting what you, getting what you really want requires chasing what you think you want, but Mm -hmm. being honest and letting go when you don't want it anymore. And some sense of like the, that's really hard, right? Because like what isn't working or what you don't want anymore is connected to a lot of things that a lot of other people want. And right. so I think there's this fear that there's going to be backlash. Like, well, how would you walk away from this thing that so many people could want? Not that many people get to be big commercial directors, you know, but it's like mm-hmm. being honest with yourself and being like, no, I got to let that go because that's just not what I want anymore. It's not what I thought it was or it's not, you know, and I'll carry the pieces of it that are, but let go of the pieces that aren't. And that that's the, the slow chipping away at revealing the sculpture of what you want your life to be. Yeah, man. I mean, for me, I, I think it's as like cliche as it might sound, it comes down to love and, mm. you know, like experiencing that and feeling that because I was living in such like a fear ridden place for so long. And then when I started to feel appreciated and loved by my wife and her family, who doesn't even speak English. And spending a lot of time with them in China and just like realizing, my gosh, there's so much more to life. And like, I'm feeling so loved by all these people that literally can't even talk to me, you know? And it's just like tapping into that spirit was massive and completely eye-opening. Like, they don't even know what I do. They don't even, of course, like they care that I can support their daughter and everything, but like, I can't even tell them what I do, Yeah, you know? And like, they're cooking for me and making me feel at home. And, and, uh, and my wife, like she, you know, she cares that I'm happy or whatever, but like, she doesn't give a damn about like commercials or anything like that. And, you know, I think a lot of people would probably, filmmakers would probably say the same things about, like, their partners. You know, they probably don't really care about it or whatever. But I think in my case, I'm just, I just really was feeling that sense of love and recognizing it and knowing that it had nothing to do with my career or what I was doing professionally. It right. was just, like, pure love. And that's special. I mean, every the way that I was raised is like, that's what you want. You know, that's, that's, you've arrived when you can experience that and feel that and appreciate it. And so I, I felt that. And I guess having been through what I went through in my 20s, it was so radically different. And it felt so radically different that it was like, this is where I want to go now. Yeah. And that's been, yeah, that's been the real challenge is like learning how to love yourself, learning how to love other people, 
and it's really hard for me but i just believe that it's the right thing to do yeah yeah man you're valuable for who you are not what you do yeah i think so i think so well this has been so good I want to be sensitive to your time. I feel like we could talk about this stuff all day. Uh, and I would love to do it again if you ever <laughs> want to, because it really is so much fun for me. Yeah. Um, I think that's the perfect note to end on. Is there anything you feel like we've missed, though? Um, I don't think so. I would just, I guess I would just encourage um, if anyone is interested in the intersection of filmmaking and wellness and has felt themselves struggling in the filmmaking space um, just to check out the, the variable community. Cause I feel like we're kind of, it's a very early phase, but I feel like we're sort of breeding an encouraging culture. And I think that's the spirit that um, is important. Just so people don't feel so alone. Like I, I definitely felt very alone for a long time. There's a lot of walls up and things like that. So, um, yeah, if any of this resonates with you, check out the community and, um, we'd be happy to welcome you in there. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, man, I will definitely, so I'll end up buttoning this with some sort of intro and outro. And just so you know, I am a hundred percent saying everyone who's listening to this and resonates with this needs to go be a part of what John's (laughs) doing because it's awesome. I'm a part of it and I get value out of it and they should too. So, uh, yeah, definitely happy to send people your way because I believe in what you're doing in many ways. I am, I've come to the acceptance, although I think it is different because it is exactly you and I'm still figuring out what's exactly me in this whole space. But I was so glad when you put that out there because I was like, man, John figured out the thing I was trying to figure out in this space. And I'm just so glad that Mm. someone's figured it out, you know? And I think, what are you, what are you trying to figure out? Well, so I had, I don't know how much of my story, you know, I had this sort of big filmmaking Facebook group for a while. I had one of the first big film communities. We ended up getting up to like three or 4,000 people. I was doing a podcast and talking to like people in Greg Frazier. And I think I was engaging with this conversation about like, what does it mean to be well and to do this stuff. So it was funny because like I would talk to Bradford Young and I would be like, so work-life balance. And everyone was like, why are you asking him questions that no one else is asking him? Um, But I ended up frying and just shutting it all down. I archived the group. I shut down my Patreon. I had had some fundamental foundational stuff. But I think the mission for me was like, help people actually figure out how to do this sustainably. Um, And so it was something that I was always like, what if we came back and made it like, there's some value in having like a slightly pay-gated community and the things you could do and the way you would do it. But mm-hmm. it just wasn't the right place for me in my path to come back to it, I think. But so that's right. why I, I chuckled to myself when I saw you post that. Cause I was like, this motherfucker finished out the solution to my problem, <laughs> oh, but I'm so glad that you man. did. And I am so on your team. Cause I care way more Thanks, about, man. uh, that existing than me being the one that did it. So, um, I'm happy to point people your way and I use, you're doing a way better job at it than I ever did. So I am happy to see that. Um, can I quickly, these are honestly half for fun and half for potential social content. If you would humor me before you let you go, can I speed round you eight great questions? Speed. 
Man, you can try, but I don't know if I'm a good speed answer. Well, this is my second time ever doing this, and I've definitely written some questions that are impossible to answer quickly, so you just need to do your best, which I know you will. Are you ready for that? Yeah, man, and I um, if it goes a few minutes over 3.30, that's fine, too. I'll, I'll just, yeah, let's do it. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Marketing and advertising, what is your biggest pet peeve? See, these will probably take me a long time to think about before I give a quick answer. So might be a lot of dead space you might have to kick, cut out. Hey, that's okay. You think about it as much as you do, but it is a little bit of like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Marketing and what is it? My biggest pet peeve yeah. of marketing and advertising? Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind of my biggest pet peeve Treatments. Fair. What is your favorite film industry slang? Favorite film industry slang. Oh my gosh. I don't even know. What is film industry slang? I don't know. People say all sorts of crazy things. There's like, wor- I, I say copy a lot in my real life still, but like I feel like there's all sorts of the little bubble of <laughs> film communication. I would probably say that then copy. I mean, I do, I do say that. I just don't know any, no other words come to mind when film industry slang slang. I feel like a lot of it is like, so I don't, I don't have a good answer. There's a lot of like technician stuff. I don't know. Maybe you didn't run into that directing, but it's like, there's all the like grip and G and E guys have like, you know, get a, get a Manhattan apple box to put the butt plug on the whatever. <laughs> like there's all this crazy uh, symbolic yeah. language. But man, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's because I haven't been on a shoot in like seven months or something that it's just not <laughs> not fresh in my mind. But that is fair. Yeah. Can you recount a specific time you showed up in an inauthentic way? Uh, probably like eighty percent of the commercial jobs that I did, I was not being honest with my connection to the job and i was doing it for uh i was doing stuff for good reasons to like support the company financially and stuff but like i felt like a total knucklehead when i was on shoots directing things that i like personally didn't really want to do i don't know is that a good answer i love that that's a great answer (laughs) what is the most common mistake you see filmmakers make with how they think about money think about money common mistake filmmakers make when they think about money um i don't know i mean i've just always been someone who's lived below my means so that's my perspective so i guess when you start making money as like a director, DP, production designer, whoever, whatever you do, that idea that that's what you're worth, like 15 grand a day or like five grand a day. And then you go and start getting really nice things and develop like a really big overhead, which then 
makes it so you have to take on more jobs to pay your bills, which then creates a very reactive psyche, lifestyle, way of seeing the world. And I think it's this very snowball effect thing where it's like you're not actually worth 15 grand a day or $5 a day. You might be making a good amount of money. But I guess my point is like to just create space in your budget so that you can be more intentional about the jobs that you take on. I love that. That's dude. my answer. That's the that's the same exact thing I tell people. So I'm glad I'm not crazy there. Um, what is your favorite no. dish at your favorite restaurant? Oh, I like that question. Something other than film. It's refreshing. Oh man, I have so many favorite dishes. I so there's this Mediterranean restaurant down the street, and uh, they have the best baba ganoush, Ooh. which is like a roasted eggplant dip yeah. for those who don't know and it's just delicious so that's that excites me and there's a really good i just discovered this um oh, what is that really good thai soup tom yum soup yeah this really good it. tom yum so it's called tom yum fried rice and it's incredibly delicious so I could go, we could have a whole podcast about food. I love food. <laughs> Dude, that, so. would, that would be really fun if it was just like all the like sort of heavy hitters of the film industry, but we only talked about like food the whole time. Not that I'm a heavy hitter, but yeah. just like that was the premise of the show. It's like people talk yeah. about the opposite of what they do. Um, That'd be nice. I would listen to that. Can, <laughs> can you boil the new variable down to one sentence? Uh. A place where filmmakers prioritize wellness and growth. I love that. What has been your hardest learned lesson? That I am not limitless. I have limitations. I have very real limitations. And um, is that a lesson? That's not a lesson. That's a lesson. I count it. Yeah. Honor, honor, to honor my limitations. That's a whole, whole nother conversation in itself. (laughs) Happy to have it. Two more. What's your next big goal? My next big goal. Um, I'm writing down honoring my limitations because I I like that idea. Um, my next big goal is my next big goal. Not to have to react to, I'm trying to escape the reactive lifestyle. And so that's a goal of mine is to get to a place where I feel like I don't have to be terrified to check my email that something's going to pop up that I really don't want to do. And so I'm working hard to get for my wife and I both to get to a place where we can have like a very simple routine life and we can travel and work on the road if we need to. And that is definitely my goal right now. It's a great goal. I empathize with that. And then last one, what do you think is your biggest obstacle to overcome right now? Reactivity. It's the, uh, 
you know, it's like you have a to-do list of things you want to do in a day, right? And it's actually oftentimes not that much stuff. It's like three hours of stuff. But somehow, <laughs> I always find a way to be a little bit restless by the end of the day. And it's because I am reacting to things that aren't important constantly throughout the day. So that is 100% my biggest struggle. That was great. You made it through the speed round. We should, we should just call it the slow <laughs> round because they're not fast questions, but that's part of why I love them. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive that some people could answer things so fast. No it's one like, has. Wow. If it makes you feel any better, it's it's a little bit tongue in cheek because I'm like, we're going to do a speed round. And then I ask you like the hardest <laughs> questions I possibly can. So I should probably I like change that. the name of it. It's a little bit ironic. Um, the slow, the slow, rapid fire round. I think Mike Whatever. Berbiglia, I secretly love everything Mike Berbiglia does. He has a podcast called Working It Out. And it's always like him and like other directors and stuff. It's sort of similar, honestly. And that's part of why I was like, how do I steal his idea without stealing his name? But he has a thing called the slow round and it is very much slow questions. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I was sort of like, what if we call it the speed round? And then we just like throw right hooks. It's like, it's all designed to just like keep you off balance a little bit. So you have to think about it. Um, I love that. I love that. Cool. Man. Man, interviewing can be so much fun. It's, it's such an art form. It's uh, do you enjoy it? I do. I I've learned yeah. to love it and I feel like I'm finally I wouldn't say I'm getting uh, no, I am getting better at it. But like I feel like I'm back yeah. in the world of caring about it enough to get better at it and that like when mm-hmm. you're in that space there's so much depth to it, you know. What do you love the most about interviewing? I think I love I love mining a vein to get to something that's like deeply true. And I love the moments when both people are learning something. Mm. And so I, I think that sense of like, which is something that like, and this is a whole nother conversation, which we're already over. So I have to let you go, but it's all right. I think one of the things that I realized I personally hated about a lot of how I felt like branded content and commercial interviews were done was they weren't, there was no active exploration. It was all preconceived. Here's the story we're telling. And I think a good interview always involves finding the story. And so you can prepare enough Mm -hmm. to have a sense of where you're going, but you have to leave enough space to follow what's real. And that's something Mm -hmm. that for this, I've been really working on is like, how can I do my homework to prep myself enough that now I'm prepared for the possibilities, but that we are right we are ready to follow whatever actually happens when it happens, you know, because I think when it gets too boxed in and it just turns into like, so how'd you start variable and then what, and then what, and then how, you know, what are you doing now? Is like, eh, I don't know. I don't think that's fun. So it's like, you have to push a little bit to be like, well, what was the problem there? And then to actually push enough that like you have to slow down and think about it. Right. Cause I think it's easy to make it frictionless and it's like, no, we need a little friction and then I need you to put friction back on me. And like, that's the best moments a lot of the time. Yeah, dude. So I agree, man. 
Well, I thank don't know you if so I put much. any friction on you, but um, you definitely did. Right. You you did a good job of going. Can you rephrase the question, which is helpful because I don't always. <laughs> I have a bad habit, and that's the thing I have to work on is like because I think what you got to in that was I wasn't asking the right question because the mm. right question is one that you can understand, and I was mm-hmm. phrasing it in a way that made sense in my head, but I hadn't boiled down the essence of what I was getting at yet. You know. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, interviewing's great, man. It's uh you did a great job, man. This was this was uh